Well, you'll find an outline of what I'm going to say uh, on the inside of the service sheet that you should have received at the door. Uh, let's dive in. I want to see uh, how clued in you are to cultural references. Uh, anyone remember a particular movie? Forrest Gump? Life is like a... Box of chocolate. I'd like to rip off Forrest Gump this morning and tell you that um, life's not like a box of chocolates. I think life is a bit like... Uh, a kitchen. Okay, Ex- explore this with me. I'd like to suggest that all of us are actually cooking something. Okay, we have an image of what our life, the end product, might actually look like as we think about what we're cooking. We're there in the kitchen. What are we thinking about? We're thinking about, well, what is a good life? What does a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life that I could look back on and go, That's a life that was well lived. That's what we're cooking. And some of us, you know, we've got a list of our ingredients uh, that are around us. Some of us have even got a cookbook that tells us what to do at the right time uh, and uh, have the recipe. We follow the recipe. But some of us, uh, a bit like my family, we have a we have a meal that we call uh, chicken surprise. it's, it's a, it, it was invented uh, out when we were camping and you've kind of been out there for a couple of weeks and you're running out of bits and pieces. Uh, and so it's really what you kind of scrape together. Sometimes it even has chicken in it, uh, which is quite amazing. And sometimes it is a really amazing uh, concoction. Sometimes less so amazing. Uh, when we think about life, not just individually and the life that we want to live, we've been thinking about the life that we as a church want to live and what is the end product of what we are striving to achieve and how what are the ingredients and how do we bring them together hopefully you're starting to see some connections here and so we came up with a new mission statement we said that our mission our end product as a church is that we are empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace and for his glory, we make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. That central line is key. We make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in fellowship with his people to bless a broken world. That is the end goal. That is what we think we should be on about. Okay, and then we said, well, what are the ingredients? Do we make like church surprise? And I'd like to suggest that for many years, I myself have done a little bit of church surprise. Uh, I kind of know the kind of things I should be doing and kind of throw them into the mix. And you see something come out at the end and you go, okay, that's interesting. Okay, tweak it a bit, try a little bit more of this one time and so forth. But we've been a lot more deliberate uh, as a church and as a network of churches in actually identifying five key ingredients okay and we've called them the five purposes and you've all spotted that they all start with the letter m M, very good okay and you all know what the first one is don't you what is it it's magnification it's that life that 24 7 life of worshiping god that is expressed not only in our singing together but our life of devotion and then built on top of magnification the next week the next m anyone mission Mission. very good you guys are good okay when you see the beauty the glory the wonder of god and that grips you 
You want to go talk to people, don't you? You want to go tell people and see people introduced to the God that you love. So that is mission. And on top of that, we looked at last week, it is the next M? Membership. Membership. You guys are really good. Okay. You've been paying attention. Or maybe the M's are really catchy. Uh, membership. Once people come to faith, they're incorporated into the body of God's people where they can both care and be cared for. They can both love and be loved. They can both know and be known. That is key. And this week we are looking at our fourth ingredient, maturity. Okay. Uh, next week we're going to move on and we're going to see ministry. That's our last one. Uh, so that's for next week, but this week maturity. And what's maturity on about? This is what we've defined the purpose of maturity. We aim to see God's people deepen in faith, hope and love as we grow together in our knowledge of God's word and depend on him in prayer. So what's this look like in your life? It looks like a life that has a foundation which is the promises and the character of God. It looks like knowing and living according to what is true and just and right. It looks like standing firm and resisting sin and temptation. Growing in faith, bearing the fruit of the Spirit more and more abundantly, faithfully serving, having a greater conviction, having a life that looks more like the life that we see in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we see as maturity. That's what it looks like. And we're going to explore that as we have with each of the other M's uh, out of a passage of Scripture. Uh, and we've got three headings. Firstly, the Word of God. Secondly, obstacles to maturity. Thirdly, Trinity Church and maturity. So let's jump in with the Word of God. Now, 2 Timothy, uh, as uh, Mike identified to us, is a letter from the Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian miss missionaries or messengers, to his offsider, Timothy. Okay, and uh, it is, we believe, the last letter that Paul wrote. Well, it's the last letter of the Paul that we actually have. Uh, and as such, if you think about a person that you've worked closely with over many years, that maybe you've mentored, this is the last opportunity Paul has to really stress what is essential. This is the last time he's going to get to communicate to Timothy, perhaps, what is really uh, the key things he wants him to hold on to. Paul, at this time, uh, was in Rome uh, on death row, waiting his trial and subsequent execution. And here he is telling Timothy what really matters. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know from those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's Paul want Timothy to focus on? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. What is it? It's the Holy Scriptures. It is the Word of God. It is the Scripture that we have before us. 
That is what Paul tells Timothy to hold on to above all else. Because these words, he describes them there in verse 16 as God breathed. God exhaled. Now a little bit of, uh, little bit of language study for you today. Uh, there's two words, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and they're words that they basically line up, even though one's Hebrew and one's Greek. Um, you're good at clearing your throat? Okay, let me teach you the first one. The first one, the Hebrew word, is ruach. But when you do get the H, you've got to get a bit more guttural. So, so can everybody say ruach? Ruach. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, good. Okay, and the second one uh, is pneuma. Okay, that's the Greek word, pneuma. Okay, one, two, three. Very good. Okay, that's where we get the idea of pneumatic, if you know pneumatic tyres. Okay, they basically mean pretty similar things. They cover the idea of breath, as in in and out. They cover the idea of wind that was coming through the door before Stephen closed it. Uh, And they cover the idea of the spirit, Okay, whether the personal spirit or God's spirit. So spirit, breath, wind. And what Paul here is doing is he's saying these words, this scripture is exhaled by God through the work. He ties it to the work of the spirit. So it's the words of God in a way, not words about God, but God's actual words spoken to us. Living and active, the scriptures tell us. Peter says it a little bit differently. He tells us in verse 21, halfway down, you'll see there, he says, no prophecy had its origin in human will, but the prophets, though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit inspired their human words and all scripture is God-breathed. This is what Paul tells Timothy to continue in, to hold fast to. Why? Because he tells him that it makes him wise for salvation. What does that mean? Okay, let me give you two things. It attests to the future, but also transforms the present. What does it mean to attest to the future? As the gospel, as the Bible, as the scriptures make us wise for salvation, they show us something that we would not find ourselves. They tell us of how God sees this world and its desperate need. It diagnoses for us what the problem is, that humanity has turned away from God, that we have rebelled, that we have sinned, and as scripture tells us, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It tells us the predicament, like Isaiah saw a couple of weeks ago that we looked at, when he sees the holiness of God and his own sin, his response, woe is me. No one declared righteous, not even one, Romans tells us again. Our problem is sin, our predicament is the judge is holy and we are under condemnation. But what is the prescription that scripture tells us? The prescription is that God sent Christ, his own son, in our place, who bore our sin on the cross. And that wisdom for salvation, that salvation is received as 
Paul says to Timothy here through faith in Jesus Christ. What is that faith? The faith is nothing more than us reaching out in our need with the empty hands that God, by his grace, fills with the richness and the abundance and the perfection of Christ. That is what scripture does. That is how it makes us wise for salvation, identifies our problem, gives us the predicament, but makes the prescription, tells us of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and tells us that the fruit of his victory is found, is received by faith. And how does that faith demonstrate itself in us as we grow in our maturity in Christ? Dependent prayer, coming to God, trusting in him, trusting his promises, knowing, knowing that no matter what anyone else, no matter what we ourselves speak of ourselves, that it is our identity in Christ that is secure. Growing assurance, joy in hardship. The Bible makes us wise for salvation. It attests to the future. But some have said of Christianity, it's just a, you know, it's a ticket to heaven. But Paul says, no, 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 no. It's not a ticket to heaven. Not just a ticket to heaven. It also transforms the present. Verse 16, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful. Useful. It is beneficial. It is profitable. It is advantageous. It is something that is essential for rebuking, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God... Now, servant of God is a bit of a politically correct translation here by the NIV. The word here is the generic word that you could translate man, but it means all humanity. It means man and woman. Okay? So, ladies, this includes you. Don't think of servant of God. That's just people like, you know, Cameron and Colin and Paul and others. No, no, that's all of us. If you're a Christian, you're a servant of God. It's so that you may be equipped thoroughly for every good work. Scripture is eminently practical. It's not just about the ticket to heaven. It's about how you live today. It's about how you do your study. It's about how you act at school. It's about how you are as a family. It's about what you do at work, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what your dreams and aspirations are. The scripture is very useful. It teaches us how to live, as Paul says, training in righteousness. This is the path that is set before us, a life of righteousness, a life in step with God. A life that mirrors what it is that God has made, how creation has been made and how we were made to be within it. That is to be rightly related to God. That is the righteousness that Paul here is talking about. So a life of justice, a life of grace, a life in step with God, a good life, the best life. And scripture teaches us how to walk that road. I find here it's helpful to think about uh, an image of walking along a path. Okay, and what does scripture do? It teaches, 
It rebukes, it corrects, it trains in righteousness. It teaches us this is the path. This is the life. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to live a godly, righteous, mature life in Christ. It teaches us the road. But then when we stray, it rebukes us. It corrects us. It brings us back and says, you've left the path. You need to go back. It's like, I don't know if you've ever hiked with a GPS. I have a friend who I go hiking with often. He's got a watch uh, and it'll just start beeping at him endlessly. You've left the path. You left the path. You left the path. Return to the path. Return to the path. And he's like, scripture's not annoying like that is. But scripture tells us as we go to God's word, there is a path and you are not on it. It rebukes us. It corrects us. This is how you get back onto the path. And it trains us. This is how you walk on the path. It is intensely practical. It is the maker's manual. It is, as other parts of scripture say, it is all that we need for life and godliness. One of my favorite verses from Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet. I don't know if you, uh, you're afraid of the dark. Is anyone here afraid of me? I'm not going to ask you to answer that. I'm afraid of the dark sometimes. Okay, I watched a, a special on Jack the Ripper. Okay, I was home alone. I, I was well and truly an adult by the time I watched this. Uh, I was at university and I can remember watching this home alone. And uh, in the, the TV was at one end of the house and my bedroom was at the other end of the house. And... I was, I was there a lot. I had to turn off the lights. Uh, what I did is I leapfrogged the light switches. So I went and turned that one on, then went back and turned that one off. And then I did that three or four times to get to my bedroom. But scripture is, scripture is the light for the path. It shows us the way to walk, the lamp for our feet. So we need to fear nothing. The word of God attests to our future it makes us wise for salvation but it transforms the here and now and that's why paul says to timothy stay in it and that is why we see here at trinity church that our maturity is integrally integrally linked into the work of the holy spirit through the living active word of god those two things go together so what gets in the way can I say anything that takes us away from God's word and the centrality of God's word in our life? Now, last week I introduced you some research uh, that the Willow Creek churches in the States did when they kind of worked out that they thought they were making disciples and thought, well, we better check on that and then realized that they weren't. Okay, some of the research they did at over a thousand congregations of every different shape and size. Okay, everywhere they turned... The data revealed the same truth. Spending time in the Bible is hands down the highest impact personal spiritual practice. If you want to grow in God, you must be in God's word. They showed that when people had stalled in their faith, when they uh, saying, I'm not growing, I feel like I'm going nowhere, I'm not growing in my relationship with God. When they asked them, are you spending regular time in the word of God and prayer? The answer universally came back as no. And when they followed those same people up 
and they asked them if they'd restarted, they'd re-kicked their Christian life and they were growing again. What made the difference? No surprises. Every single one of them had started reading their Bible and praying again. These things are essential. God's word is a gift to us that we might know him and then respond to him in prayer. So what gets in the way? Anything that takes us away from God's word. But I'm going to give you three. Three from these verses that we have before us. Sometimes we can doubt that it's worth it. Paul to Timothy, verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, like that bit, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. What did Paul endure in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? Well, at Lystra, he was taken out of the city uh, and stoned and they thought he was dead. Uh, the scripture, I think, is always lovely ambiguous at that point, whether he was dead and God raised him back to life or whether they just thought he was dead, but stoned, okay? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Opposition is inevitable. And sometimes we can doubt that following God's path is worth it. Following Christ is hard. Jesus himself warns that. Jesus himself tells us it will cost us. It is life against the flow. But what did one wise Christian man say? He said, what sacrifice it is, or is it, to give up what we cannot keep? to gain something we can never lose. Brothers, sisters, if you are doubting whether it's worth it, know that God has given you every spiritual riches in Christ. We can doubt its worth, but when we see the bounty that comes to us through grace, what can the world do to us? God has given us Christ. If he is for us, who then can be against us? Sometimes, though, we can be amongst those, and maybe we feel that ourselves, that we doubt that it is true. So maybe you've seen this movie, Da Vinci Code. Maybe you've even read the book. It's, um, it's, not, it's not the best sellers, but it's not really exactly what you call high-quality literature. But when it came out, there was all, ah, oh, disprove Christianity. I had uh, a member of my extended family tell me that he believed that Da Vinci Code uh, was right, that the Bible was just a product, particularly the New Testament, just a product of church politics and power plays, and it didn't really come into being until, you know, the fourth century, uh, 400 or 350 odd years after Jesus, uh, and he was convinced that uh, Dan Brown had got it right. Uh, the fact that fiction was written on the back didn't seem to make any difference to him, uh, but we can. We, we live in it. This is nothing new, can I say. Paul says to Timothy, there are people who will turn away, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We can doubt that it is true. This attack on the truth of what happened and the truth of Scripture is nothing new. 
More often than not these days, it's focused around the Gospels. And they say the Gospels, you know, for Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the accounts of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death and resurrection, they're just products to shore up the political capital of those in charge of the church. Let me give you three reasons why that's not the case. Way too early. We have evidence going back to the start of the second century AD where all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were being written about by the early church leaders. The letters, the correspondence that they're sending to each other contains references to Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So a fourth century fabrication, no, well, they're there at the start of the second uh, and we believe, obviously, they were written in the first. They're too counterproductive. So Peter... Peter, this great church leader that later became significant leader in Rome, okay, how does Peter look like in the Gospels? Does he look like the intrepid, you know, always getting it right? No, Peter makes more mistakes than I do, for goodness sake. Um, Peter puts his foot in it more often than I do. Uh, he is someone who fails again and again and again. These, these great disciples, where were they when Jesus was betrayed? They ran away. If you're going to write something that makes you look good and makes the descendants that claim allegiance to you look good, this was not it. Not only that, those who know these things tell us that they're way too detailed. So in the accounts, when you read myths and legends, they're very nebulous. But then when you read the feeding of the 5,000, you get this great little comment about uh, Jesus made them all sit down because there was lots of grass. Okay. Jesus went to sleep in the front of the boat on a cushion. You get these random little details that you think, if I was writing a myth or a legend, why would I put that in there? Well, I wouldn't. But why would I write about the grass? Because I was there and I saw it, and there was lots of grass, so it was a nice, comfy place to sit down. C.S. Lewis, who was a, an Oxford professor of literature that many of us will know, He said this, he says, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, myths all my life. I know what they are like and none of them are like this. Brother, sister, you can have confidence that the word of God is true. We can doubt that it is also not only worth it, not only true, but we can doubt that it is good. Is it truly the good life? Because often the scriptures tell us things that we don't want to hear. The world is saying one thing and the Bible is calling us to live in a different way. Again, this is nothing new. Time will come, Paul tells Timothy in verse 3 of chapter 4, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They don't teach scripture. They teach what they want to hear, what their desires want to hear. And we live in a world that doesn't love scripture. I don't need to tell you that. And we can look at it. And we can say the Bible teaches this about sexuality. The Bible teaches this about alcohol. The Bible teaches this about money. All sorts of things. And we can say everyone looks like they're having so much more fun. 
Well, are they? Are they really? I read a book, I mentioned it last week, called Lost in Transition. It's called The Darker Side of Young Adulthood or Emerging Adulthood. It's a great book. It's well worth reading. It's an academic book, but it's not boring and academic. It comes out through Oxford University Press. There it is there. This is them as they're looking at, they're talking to young adults. They do research generally. They do interviews. They do uh, questionnaires. And uh, this is on the chapter on drugs and alcohol. And one person they reflect, they say, the entire time we were growing up, we were taught that when you go to college, you're supposed to party, be wild, get crazy, have fun, drink a lot. Their answer, in short, is we do exactly what we were told to do. So the idea of go out and, you know, be free, well, they're doing exactly what they were told to do. We have the world teaching you in one way. We have society teaching you in one way and we have God teaching you in another. None of us are free of outside influences. People will tell us that if we follow God and his word, it's slavery. It's not slavery. If God is our maker and this is his word to us, we are following the maker's instructions. To be Free is not to be free of all restraint. That doesn't make sense. It's to have the right restraints. The fish that is free of water, it's not free at all. It's dead. Can I say, if we doubt it's good, ask yourself this question. Who is your teacher? And the answer is not no one. Who is your teacher and what are they teaching you? What are the destination that they're pushing before you? Because we all have a teacher, we all walk a road, we all have a destination. It's just whether your teacher is worth listening to. My teacher is God, who made us, who sent his son to die and rise again, that through faith in him I could have life in his name. Who are we listening to? Brings us to our last point. Trinity Church and maturity. Take you back. What are we aiming at? We want to see God's people deepen in faith, hope and love as we grow together in our knowledge of God's word, scripture, and depend on him in prayer. I acknowledge we haven't talked much about prayer today. That's coming. Okay? Watch this space. That's coming. But that is what we're aiming for. So what's it mean for you individually? Can I say... You want to be people who more and more love God's word. Not because we love the Bible, because we love our heavenly father. And this is his word to us. And so as we love God's word, we expect God's word. So when you're finding yourself away from Trinity Church Brighton, when you're looking for another church, we prayed for Colleen. When you're in Canada, sorry to pick on you, looking for a church, look for a church that loves God's word. I found this quote by Mark Galley, yawning at the word. It's a bit brutal. To be sure, we want the preacher to begin with the word. We're Christians after all, but only as a starting point and only as long as he moves on to things that really interest us. 
Do we pay lip service to God's word and then spring on to all sorts of other stuff? Or are we people who love God's word? Read Psalm 19. Read Psalm 119. See the passion that the psalmist has for God's word and ask that his spirit would give you. Your word is sweeter to me than honey from the honeycomb. So if ever someone stands up in here and does not preach God's word, you in love, correct them, admonish them. Say, brother, you've left the path. Return, return. You've got to love God's word. You've got to engage with God. As I said, all the stats show and the scriptures testify that if we want to grow in our relationship with God, we've got to have our relationship with God. And we do that through the word and prayer. Daily habits of, word, of reading the scriptures and prayer is important, but not just skimming over the surface. Study the word. Join with others in growth groups and dig deeply into the word. Maybe go where Mark and where Pam have been for the last couple of years and spend some time and study more deeply. Not to know stuff about God, but that we might know him. And as we know him, we might grow more like him. What's it mean for us together? It means that we are shamelessly a church of the word. Everything we do will have the word center. Sunday, you will expect that we will preach and teach scripture. You'll go to a growth group. It's not just about friendships. Friendships are great. But it's about meeting with brothers and sisters around the word of God. Our youth group, it's not just about fun and games and making you know, connections and friends with people. It's about discipling our young men and women in the word of God. Kids church, not child minding. It's about discipling children to know their love and love their heavenly father. We are unashamedly people of the word. And that is what we will continue to be. And so my charge to us is Paul's charge to Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge and myself. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. As I said, that's maturity. To be continued. We're going to spend some time now, I believe, with the band. Okay. They're going to rematerialize on the stage. <laughs>